following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. The Olympic Games, you know, happen once every four years. One of the signatures of, of the modern Olympic Games has been the, the Olympic flame. Now, if you've seen it, I, we've got a picture here of um, the last Olympics. This is in Tokyo. And this is the, the Olympic flame. You can't get a sense for how big this thing is in this picture, but it is massive. And it's this fire that keeps burning throughout the game. And it's symbolic of, uh, it's, it's supposedly, you know, symbolic of, of a flame that was, was stolen by Prometheus from Zeus and, and carried out. Um, it's a flame that uh, represents the competitive spirit and the unity of all of these countries coming together for these, it, it, there's just, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into this. But it's really important if you're an organizer of the Olympics to have this Olympic flame burning at all times, right? They, it never goes out. Two years before the Olympic games, they start a torch relay from Athens with a flame and they carry it to the side of the Olympics and they light this and it stays lit. Now, what happens if the flame goes out? Right? It's been carried all the way from Athens. It's the authentic Olympic flame. Well, what happens? Just to set you at ease, because I know you're really worried about this. They keep several backup flames that are, that are carried along with it. They, they keep them set aside. But there have been a few times in history where things haven't gone that smoothly with this flame. In fact, in 1976, at the Summer Olympics in Montreal, there was this huge rainstorm that blew through. And it put out the Olympic flame. It just goes out. Well, everybody's out of the stands, right? It, the, what are you going to do? So some guy who's working there just walks up, takes out a cigarette lighter, and lights the flame. It was, seems fitting for 70, 1976, right? <laughs> but he, he takes it and he lights it. And so now the flame's going. The Olympic organizers, organizers were very quick to come in and put that flame out. And they went and got the real flame and brought it up and lit that Olympic flame. See, they weren't about to let an inauthentic flame burn in place of the real one. The meaning of that torch to the Olympic organizers was worth protecting and was worth keeping pure. We live in the most informationally gluttonous society the world has ever known. At any given moment, you can be introduced to and overwhelmed by any teaching that has ever been known to mankind. This can be beneficial, right? You can learn a lot in a very short amount of time. But it can also be dangerous. Because it can be all too easy to let our flame be replaced by an inauthentic fire. So the question is, how do we protect the flame of true faith in Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to find out in 2 Timothy today. And, and as we do this, we're going to first take a few minutes. We're going to read through this passage. We're going to work through these six verses of 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 18. And then we'll come back and we'll find out exactly how we can live them out. So let's start 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. It says, 
hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he offered refreshment. He, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered in Ephesus. Okay, right up front, verse 13 and 14, Paul gives Timothy two imperative commands. In verse 13, he says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. What does this mean? Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. He's calling Timothy to cling tightly to the pattern, which in this case is not like a, a, a set way of speaking or some organizational chart that he had to work through. The pattern here literally means the measure. It's a standard. It's the yardstick. He says, cling tightly to the measured standard, the pattern of sound teaching. Sound teaching is the true message of God. Specifically here, he's pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, let that be your standard. Let that be your measure. That the God who created the heavens and the earth doesn't allow you to wallow in your sin. But even though you have rejected him time and time and time and time again and sought to do things your own way, he still loved you in a way that makes no earthly or human sense whatsoever. In fact, he loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, and rise victoriously to deliver you completely from yourself and from your sin. He says, this, this, is, this is the pattern of sound teaching. It is God's word, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's more, Paul doesn't just say, hey, Timothy, do this. Paul says, Timothy, do this and know that I've modeled it for you. Right? This was modeled for Timothy by Paul, who never presented any message as his own. He never presented the truth of God's word. He never presented the gospel as his own message. He always pointed back to Jesus Christ. He says, this isn't about me. This isn't about what I know. This isn't about the instructions I can give. This is not about how I can lead you. He said, this is about Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter one, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, for I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. Just to let you in on that, you know where Paul's from? You know what his origin is? It's human. He's a human being. He says, this is not of human origin. This doesn't come from me. For I did not receive it from, human, from a human source. And I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, this is all about the message of Jesus Christ. It is all about him. It's not about me. He says, so Timothy, cling to that pattern, cling to that measure of sound teaching, of truth in God's word, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
just like I do. And never put yourself at the center of it. It's just because when you put yourself at the center of it, then you stop clinging to the sound teaching. You started clinging to your own teaching, to your own ideas. It says, no, no, no. Cling to the pattern of sound teaching. The second instruction, the second imperative that Paul gives is in verse 14, where he says, guard the good deposit. Guard it. All right, so cling to this pattern, this measure of God's word and of the gospel, and then guard the good deposit. See, not only is, is Timothy to cling to that teaching, but he is to use it to uphold the truth against the false teachers and false teachings that are trying to work their way into the church. Remember, we said in the first week of this series that one of the reasons Paul writes is to encourage Timothy to stand firm while these false teachers and these false teachings are making their way into the church and into the lives of the believers. And again, we don't know exactly what these false teachings are. We get a few little hints throughout the letter, but it doesn't matter. Because Paul says, listen, you want to stand up against false teaching? I don't care what the false teaching is. doesn't matter what it is. If you cling to the pattern of sound teaching and use that to guard your heart and guard the truth, then you don't have to worry about what the false teaching is. What Paul's talking about here is, is not about some fancy argument, right? He's not saying you have to be some classically trained speaker in order to be able to stand up against false teaching. In fact, he tells us many times that that is the exact opposite of what you need. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23, he says, where is, where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Paul says, you want to stand firm? You want to guard your heart? You want to guard the truth? It's not about having all the answers. It's about coming back and clinging to the pattern of sound teaching. Jesus Christ perfect life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, and the only and complete deliverance. So Paul gives these two instructions, these two imperatives. He says, you want to stand firm. You want to guard that flame of true faith. Hold on to the pattern. Guard the good deposit. After these instructions, though, we get a few more verses. And what Paul's going to do in the next few verses is offer us an example. He's going to give an illustration of what this looks like. Two examples. One example is going to be of those who failed at this. One example is going to be what it looks like to be successful at this. And so, in these examples, he talks about Phygelus, Hermogenes, and Anesiphorus. Phygelus and Hermogenes and Anesiphorus. Now, we don't know anything else about these people. They appear in this passage and are not present anywhere else in scripture. So we don't know what they did. We don't know what all these people went through. But Timothy does. 
You can see as Paul talks about these, these three people, Timothy's right there with him. He's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And for us, we may not know the details, but it gives us a really good picture of what it looks like to fail and what it looks like to succeed in holding and guarding. Figilus and, and Hermogenes deserted Paul along with everyone else in Asia. Now, side note, when Paul says everyone in Asia, he's speaking hyperbolically, right? He's not saying every person in Asia left him. That, that would be pretty much impossible. It's kind of like when you go to a football game or a street fest, and you're like, everybody in town was there. No, they weren't, but we know what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, what Paul is doing here is he's giving this hyperbolic speech. He's like, man, listen, you know, these two, along with everybody else, they, they left. Things got hard. Things got difficult. They deserted me when it got tough because they refused to hold to the pattern of sound teaching and to guard the good deposit. Instead, they took off. They failed when confronted with the inauthentic flame. Anesiphorus, on the other hand, held on to the pattern of sound teaching and guarded the good deposit. When you look at the way that he responded to Paul and the way that he loved Paul, through, through verses 16 through 18, you, you see that he's a man who was bold and loving. He was a faithful encouragement to Paul and he served the kingdom with strength and confidence and passion. He faced the same things that Figilus and Hermogenes faced, but his response was wildly different. Why? because he held to the pattern of sound teaching and he guarded the good deposit. The point Paul is making with these two examples is this. He knows trials of faith will come. And he knows that those trials of faith will cause some to run. But he also knows what sets those apart who will continue through the trials into growth and maturity of faith is to hold on and to guard. Holding on to the truth and guarding the good deposit make all the difference. So for us, to wander carelessly and aimlessly through life leaves us vulnerable and because the world's going to throw all kinds of stuff at us. Our enemy is going to throw all kinds of stuff at us. Things that like Figilus and Hermogenes will cause us to want to run. So what's going to set us apart? What's going to make us not need to run, but feel that strength that Anesiphorus felt? That strength to stand firm. You can probably guess it's going to be two things. To hold on and guard. First, we must cling to the truth. We must cling to the truth. Again, Paul's first imperative was hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. We must 
cling to the truth of God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. You ever been to the beach and built a sandcastle? Or you ever seen someone, maybe you don't like the beach, maybe you don't want to go to the beach. You ever seen somebody at the beach who's built a sandcastle? Right? If, if you've ever seen, there's, there's actual people who are professional sandcastle builders. Like there are people, this is their job. That's cr- I don't know how you get in. That's crazy. Um, I mean, it's awesome, but good for them. Uh, but, but if you build a sandcastle, you can build the most ornate, coolest looking, huge sandcastle. But as the day goes on and the tide rises, what happens to the sandcastle? Sandcastle falls apart. It washes away. It doesn't matter how strong you built it. That foundation will be swept away. And so how do we faithfully hold on to the pattern of sound teaching? How do we not let ourselves be built up like that sandcastle whose foundation is washed away when the trial and the difficulty comes? Well, if we're going to cling to the pattern of sound teaching, two things. We must know God's word and we must accept God's word. We must know God's word and we must accept God's word. And it breaks down into these two very simple parts. We must know God's word. We have to, listen, believer, if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have to know God's word. We have to. If we're going to try to live faithfully in this world and rely on one sermon a week or a five-minute devotional where you read one verse and somebody else's thought on that verse or, or some podcast conversation throughout the week or even sermons online, if we're going to rely on those things, then we will never be able to follow God's laws, decrees, commands, and promises. And I guarantee we will, result, we, will, we will resort to following our own hearts and our own interpretations of what we think God said because we don't know what he actually said. Jeremiah 17, 9, one of my favorite verses, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts will not deliver us. Our hearts will not strengthen us. Our hearts will not give us the right answers. That's God's word. Now, don't don't hear me wrong in that. Sermons, devotionals, podcasts, conversations with others, these are great helps to our understanding of scripture. But if we rely on those without reading God's word ourselves, we will not know what he has said. So here's the challenge for this part this week, okay? If you have a daily routine of spending time in the word, two thumbs up. Great job. Keep it up. Do not let anything pull you away from that. Now, if you don't have that habit, let me challenge you this week to start it. Now, when we say start the habit of reading the Bible every day, some of you are going to go, well, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read the whole book of Genesis tomorrow, and then I'm going to try to read the book of Exodus the next, and you're going to get, you know, a day and a half in, you be like, I can't do it anymore, I quit, and you set it aside. It's, it's like a muscle. 
You start small, build the muscle, get stronger. If you don't have that habit, commit five minutes of your morning to just opening God's word and reading it. Start in the Psalms, great place to start. Try five minutes, try 10 minutes. If you're somebody who says, well, I don't really read. Okay, get an audio Bible. You know how many generations of believers existed without a Bible that they had in their hands? And they relied on hearing it from other people? But whatever it is, find a way to spend time with God's word every day. And and again, if you don't have this habit, do it three days this week. Start with three days. But spend time with God's word if you don't know what God has said, you will be lost when the trial comes. We must know God's word. Number two, we must accept God's word. Here's the one that will get the culture of our world to kick you in the teeth. We must accept God's word. You will not like everything God's word says. You'll think it sounds unfair. You'll think some things sound a bit rigid. You'll think that you have better ideas on how these things should go or how they should be handled. And you know why? Because God's perfect and you're not. Because God is perfect and we are not I've heard it said that if you like everything you read in scripture, you're reading it wrong. I could not agree with that more. (laughs) We may not like what God calls us to. We may not like what he has to say. But I say this with all the love in my heart. Church family, that does not matter one bit. I don't care if you like everything God says. Our job is not to like everything our God says to us. Our job is to know the word and accept that he is God and we are not. Listen, we want to stand firm. We want to guard that fire of faith in our lives, that true flame. We have to cling to the truth, to know God's word and to accept it. So are we spending time in God's word? And when we find ourselves at at odds with that word, who do we correct? Do we correct God or do we correct our hearts? When we cling to God's word by knowing and accepting it, we're then prepared for the second step. To protect the flame of our faith, we must stand our ground. We must stand our ground. Again, the command to stand our ground is as pertinent to us today as it has ever been. Because the sad reality is that the American church in particular has been infiltrated by so much false teaching and terrible theology that sometimes it's hard to discern what sound teaching even is. Amen? Amen. 
right? And I don't care how much you know of the Bible. There are times where you hear something, you're like, that sounds really good. And then you start thinking about it a little more. You're like, but is that right? Because it's so easy for half-truths and slight manipulations of the truth to slip in. But that is why it is so important for us to first cling to the truth, but then we must trust it enough not to be swayed from it. Paul's call to stand our ground here. And I want to make this clear. His command here is not for us to fight against false teachers. He's going to hit that up later. Okay, we will get to that. There is a time to stand in opposition against false teachers. But his call here about standing our ground, the, the intent of this, uh, uh, of this command is focused on the purity of our own hearts. We stand our ground so that we will not be manipulated by those half-truths and those things that maybe sound good on the surface but are not from the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 6 says, How can a man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. Paul's command to stand our ground is a command for discernment. It's a call for discernment in our lives. To be constantly vigilant, making sure that the things that we believe are the things that God has said. The call for discernment. What does that require? Well, again, first it requires clinging to the truth. If we're not clinging to the truth, we will have no discernment whatsoever. But in addition to clinging to the truth, if we're going to be a people of discernment who stand our ground, protecting our hearts, then we have to to realize two things here, two requirements of discernment. First, discernment requires exclusivity. Discernment requires exclusivity. If we're going to be discerning of the truth and that which is not truth, then Jesus Christ is our all or he is nothing. Jesus Christ is our all or he is nothing. John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions is not of the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. John says, you cannot say you love Jesus and live according to the philosophies of the world. Jesus is not one way to heaven amongst the many. He's not a good moral arbiter who can give you some nice sound teaching. He is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord or he is nothing. I was watching a, a, a documentary. Aaron and I were watching this, this documentary of um, these professional athletes. And we kept remarking, the athletes wear like, you know, a cross chain around their neck. They talk about their faith. They thank God. And then they run on the field and every other word out of their mouth was an F word or some other swear word. And they would talk about these kind of things. And they would talk like this in front of their children and in front of other people and in front of a national audience. Hold on. Hold on. 
Do you love Jesus? Or do you want to live the way this world lives? Now, listen, I'm not saying some of us that, that we are never going to mess up or we're never going to make that mistake. We're never going to say something we shouldn't say. Yes, we will. Every single one of us in this room will. But the question is, what's driving our philosophy? Who is the authority over our lives? Is it Jesus Christ? Or is he a nice addition to the things we already have and we like and that we don't want to change? Because if we want to know discernment of the truth, it's an exclusive claim. Jesus is Lord and Savior, or he is nothing. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when your time on this earth is done, and you enter the presence of the Father, you're going to be surprised at the people who have sat next to you over the years who will not be there with you. Because Jesus was a nice addition to their lives, as long as it didn't cost you much. It's Jesus or it's nothing. Discernment requires exclusivity. Now, before we take that and let that get us up on our high horse, we also must remember that discernment requires humility. Discernment requires humility. Show me someone who has all the answers and I'll show you a heart that cannot distinguish the truth from self-gratifying deception. Let me say that again. <laughs> show me somebody who has all the answers, and I'll show you a heart that cannot distinguish truth from self-gratifying deception. You don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. We have to recognize that. If I'm relying solely on me, like I, I can figure this out, I can get it all, I can nail it down, I'm going to fall because I lack the humility that is necessary for discernment. If we want to stand our ground when bombarded by false gods and bad theology, we must recognize that we have nothing to offer to the conversation and we are incapable of protecting ourselves by our own strength, by our own power, by our own knowledge. And in that humility, we're left with nothing but to run to Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the first of the, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Poor in spirit that, that phrase there, poor in spirit, means spiritually bankrupt. It's those who know they have nothing to offer and owe their complete debt to Jesus Christ. It's in humility, knowing that we are saved, not because of anything in us, but because of God's love, Christ's sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit's work in and through us is only then that we can have that strength to stand on the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to have the discernment we need to stand our ground as we cling to the truth. For to stand our ground, we must distinguish the valuable from the broken and know that the wisdom to choose rightly is found in a humble submission to Jesus Christ and nowhere else. 
Listen, are we prepared to stand our ground with wise discernment? Not to lash out, not to get frustrated and walk away, but to stand firm in the truth of our God. If you go home this week, you start flipping through social media or through the radio dial, mark the first five or six different teachings and and religious clips that you run across. Chances are, through one of those, you'll encounter some age-old heresy masquerading as a newfound and profound truth. You'll hear somebody calling you to sow your seeds to this ministry and God will, God will bless you tenfold in your finances. You'll hear somebody calling you to pray the right words with the right conviction and God will heal any illness that you have. You'll hear somebody say, you know, to, to, to truly experience the Holy Spirit in this very specific way, that's the only way we know if you're saved. And if you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit exactly like this, clearly, clearly you haven't surrendered to Jesus. You'll hear somebody say, well, just call on the name of Jesus and everything will be perfect in your life. And the list goes on and on and on. And those are false teachings and, and, and lies that sound good to us, right? Those kind of things make us feel good. They make us feel powerful. They make us feel like we have some control. And sometimes I like that feeling. So why not just follow this? They're so attractive. And oftentimes we can find ourselves in a place where we've failed to even think about whether they actually align with biblical truth or not. And this attractive nature of false teachings and false teachers reinforces the need to guard the flame of God's truth and of true faith in his love, in his power, in his grace, in his mercy, in his glory. And to do that, we must cling to God's word as the standard measure of what is good, what is trustworthy, what is life-giving, what is right, what is beautiful, what is true. And we must stand our ground, never wavering from the truth of God's word so we can protect our hearts from the oscillation of our frail human intellect and emotions. Church family, may we be boldly resilient in our faith May we be boldly resilient in in faith for the enduring truth of God's word, of Christ's sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit's discernment in our hearts. Let us stand our ground not to be hardened naysayers with our chest puffed out and our ears plugged up, but that we might with every thought and word and deed, glorify the holiness of our God, declare the power of the Holy Spirit, and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us that so desperately needs to know what true love, grace, and mercy looks like. May we be the church. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. Again, we thank you for who you are. 
that you are God. We thank you that we are not. And Lord, we pray that as we look at the week ahead, as we face whatever the world has to throw at us, Lord, that we would be able to stand firm in you, to cling to your word, knowing that your word is truth. Lord, we would know it, that we would accept it, not because we necessarily always like every aspect of it, but because your word is true and trustworthy. It's faithful. And Lord, may we stand our ground. Again, not because we're strong, but because you are. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we praise you. Lord, it's in your great and your awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.